Hey gang, it's Al, and uh, thanks for joining me on my show. I've got a really great show coming up uh, for you today. Uh, i got a special guest uh, on the line. Um, I've got Mr. Ted Gunderson. Um, Ted Gunderson uh, was many years in uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Uh, from 1951 through 1979, he was uh, uh, an agent there and uh, retired there as a special agent in charge of the Los Angeles, California, and Southern California area. And um, so um, I'm really honored to have... Uh, Ted Gunderson on the f- on the phone with me. Um, Ted, are you there? I'm here. Huh? Okay, great. Uh, thanks are you for live? yeah yeah. We're on the, we're on live and uh, um, really appreciate you coming on my show. This is a, I, th- I find your research uh, incredibly interesting and uh, and your story uh, um, about uh, and kind of you know where you come come from and your um, credibility on on these issues uh, is uh, I think really um, helpful and impeccable. On the on the subject, well, that's uh, one of the problems that the corrupt uh, people have, uh, who are serving supposedly serving our country, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, my credibility and credentials. Right. Well, and uh, tell us a little bit about your your history and uh, where and how you sort of came to be where you are now. Well, uh, I was uh, I entered on duty in the FBI in 1951, December 10, 1951, and uh, had a 27 illustrious years. It was a fabulous experience. I. Uh, a lot of fun, a lot of work. Uh, I'd get up in the morning and shave, look in the mirror, and I'd say, I can't believe they're paying me to go to work. It was one of those kind of jobs. And uh, and then in uh, March the 30th, 1979, I retired. At that time, I was in charge of uh, most of Southern California. I had over 700 personnel under my command, a budget of $22.5 million. Uh, uh, the only part of California we didn't have was the San Diego area, which is, I think you're broadcasting out of San Diego, aren't you? That's correct. And uh, so, um, from then on, it was uh, Katie bar the door, to be honest with you, because uh, I, uh, well, I went to uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico in the summer of 79, coordinated security for the Pan American Games Mm -hmm. on on behalf of the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, Came back, I was a consultant for the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. I was a consultant for uh, Governor Jerry Brown, California Narcotic Authority, 1982. And I set up my and established my own international security and consulting firm in uh, Los Angeles, Westwood, California, as a matter of fact. And my first major investigation was the Dr. Jeffrey R. McDonald case. Dr. McDonald was a uh, had been a former Green Beret doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, was uh, tried and convicted in August 1979 of the murder of his wife and two children at Fort Bragg on February 17, 1970. And uh, at that time, his wife was, uh, and the children, of course, uh, were brutally murdered. There were over 100 stab wounds in all three bodies. Uh, the children were two and a half and one and a half. And the government claimed that, uh, that he murdered them. Uh, however, he didn't. And some of his friends came to me and said, Ted, will you investigate this case? This oh. is after he'd been tried, convicted, and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. Through JAG, right? Beg your pardon? Through the Judge Advocate General, right? Or well, some of his uh, doctor friends came to me. Oh, okay. But, and I mean, he went through... Said, mil- I'm, I'm out of the bureau now, of course. Right, but... They said, Ted, would you investigate this case? Oh, okay. Because the man's innocent, which oh, in 10 months I obtained a signed confession from Alina Stokely, a girl in a floppy hat who was standing on the street corner, when the military police, Micah, was en route to the scene about 4.30 in the morning on February 17, 1970. 
And she said that Dr. McDonald did not commit those murders. They were committed by her satanic cult group. And hmm. I said to myself, well, what's that mean? You know, I heard about Satan in the Bible and knew about Satan, but I didn't know anything about satanic cults and right. about the satanic movement in this country. And uh, it went from there. It was magnified from there. And right. uh, I went public with the information that Alina gave me, uh, radio and TV and what have you. And people just came from all parts of the country and started telling me about their experiences, how they were mm -hmm. multi-generation survivors uh, trying to get out of the cults and so on and so forth. And uh, the reason for the cover-up with Dr. McDonald is because uh, Dr. McDonald uh, was, uh, when they, the uh, GIs would go over to the civilian hospital where he was moonlighting, uh, who they were, and they were uh, overdosed on, on drugs, Dr. McDonald was abusive to them. So they were trying to get even with him, and also they went in there that night looking for drugs themselves. Uh, they just had a satanic ceremony, and they were high on drugs as it was. And um, Alina told me that her cult was dis distributing the drugs up and down the East Coast, uh, and the drugs were being flown in from South Vietnam in the body cavities of the dead GIs in plastic oh, wow. bags, by the way. Wow. And uh, that um, the higher-ups in the drug operation, when they realized that uh, this cult that was involved in their drug operation had murdered the McDonald family, they knew that they had to uh, frame McDonald, which they did, and uh, so uh, he was, uh, Alina told me that the drug operation involved generals. Uh, it involved at least two attorneys in Fayetteville, North Carolina. It involved um, police officers and, and other enlisted men. And so it was quite a drug operation. And the documentation on this, uh, bringing drugs in plastic bags in the body cavity dead GIs is in uh, Time Magazine, January 1, 1973. Uh, now, an article about it. Now, so, um... In your in your career in the FBI, did you ever come across? I mean, did you do you do narcotics investigations and and things like that? Did you ever come across um, anything that that led you to suspect any kind of government uh, um, drug running? No, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the FBI did not handle uh, drugs oh. when I was mm -hmm. in the FBI. Oh, okay, it was only afterwards uh, that they did become involved in investigating drug matters. Uh, Hoover stayed uh, stayed away from the drug situation, uh -huh. and I was under 21 years under him at that time. And I think the reason he did, he's a very, he was a very wise, very smart man, because he knew that with, with drugs comes money, and with money, uh, abundance of money, and thousands and thousands of dollars comes corruption, and payoff to cops, and payoff to uh, agents, and what have you. So, he very wisely stayed out of the drug uh, market as an investigative organization. Right. Okay. So back to the story about uh, the. This was on the same. You uncovered this information on the same. This the same initial case, um, of the. What was the gentleman? The the. It was a colonel. Doctor Jeffrey R. McDonald. Oh, okay. And 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 the the thing about it is that um, Doctor McDonald is still in jail today. He's, oh. he's he's still serving three consecutive life sentences. And the, uh, the the judge, the first judge, Dupree, passed away. The next judge is a fellow named uh, Judge Fox. I think it's James Fox. And he ordered DNA tests in 1997. And, uh, you know, they still have not done the DNA test. Wow. And, and that's a judge's uh, so order? They're not? of the cover-up, as far as I'm concerned. Right. And uh, the judge said that uh, there were 15 individual pieces of evidence that could be examined. 
Mm-hmm. But he said only the uh, prosecution should be, could be present when they opened the evidence envelopes. And so uh, when they opened them up, of course, the prosecution, prosecution came out and said, well, of the 15 evidence envelopes, five of them are empty. So, and the defense didn't, did, couldn't even be present when they opened them. And now right. they still have not done the DNA test. Wow. So that shows you, uh, you know, just what's going on here. Right. But uh, anyway, that's how, I, that's how I first became involved in mm-hmm. learning about corruption and drugs and uh, the extent of uh, corruption that's going on in this country today. Wow. Um, the um, I'd like you to maybe jump, maybe fast forward it all the way to uh, a present case that's going on right now. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, Richard Hamlin. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, that is, oh, that is a tragic, tragic yeah. story. Uh, Richard uh, was, uh, he's a former prosecutor mm-hmm. in uh, Placerville, I think it's uh, California. And he lives in Placerville. He was a former prosecutor in Sacramento. And uh, he, uh, he was married to his wife for some 15 years. And he noticed uh, uh, an unusual relationship between his wife, uh, her name was Sue, Who was and also her a father, pros- whose name was Sid Seymour. Okay. And uh, so he sat down, and he's a Christian, by the way. He sat down and was talking to her and talked to her, asked her a few questions about it. And his wife then said, uh, admitted that uh, her father had uh, been molesting her since she was a child and was still molesting her and still having sex with her, even though he'd been married to her for 15 years. And so Richard uh, went public with the information. And, in fact, he posted pictures of his father-in-law on telephone poles, accusing him of being a child molester. And uh, the, um, the police uh, ended up uh, arresting him, uh, even though she gave the police a 26-page statement uh, confessing to all this information, the fact that she'd been molested, and she'd been a victim of satanic cults. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so then what happened, according to Richard Hamlin, is that his wife was beaten up in a parking lot by, uh, according to Sue, according to him, a fellow named Rocky, and she was told that uh, she had to uh, change her story, deny uh, and refute the statement she gave to the police, and say that her husband beat her up. Wow. And so she did change the story, and they filed charges against Richard Hamlin, and... Um, he was tried and convicted, charged with torturing his wife, and uh, and he admits he only slapped her once. He did slap her one time, but he, he never did torture or beat her up or anything. Right. But the wife and the children, of course, who are, according to Richard, uh, are, are brainwashed and mind-controlled victims, uh, claim that he tortured her, he burnt cigarette butts on her and what have you. And the jury went along with it. And Richard appealed the case. He was tried, convicted, and uh, he appealed the case. And he found out just on September the 29th uh, that he uh, he lost the appeal for a new trial, and he was given a sentence of life in prison. And that was this September 29th, 2006? Yeah, just two days ago. Wow. That's too bad. Too bad. It's tragic. It's yeah, horrible. I know. It's uh, so uh, he, she, he he was helping his wife. She she uncovered all these sort of suppressed memories, uh, and and he was helping her through it. And it was and it was kind of cathartic and scary for her. And then when she was she came out 
uh, and was how did how did uh, I mean were they were accusing then her father of these of Richard accused the father yes right Richard accused the father publicly right and uh, Sid Seymour was heavily involved in a covert government operation involving chemical warfare on behalf of uh, the government. Uh, And uh, and as a matter of fact, had worked with one of my sources, uh, Michael Reconosuto, in developing uh, various uh, 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 chemicals uh, for warfare purposes. And uh, so he had some ties to Washington, D.C., and he had some connections to Washington, D.C. Right. And uh, that was it. Now, Richard uh, heard about me on the Internet, apparently, called me here a year and a half ago and asked me if I'd help him on the case. And I worked on the case quite diligently. I interviewed a number of uh, people, including Sid Seymour himself. Oh, you did? And, yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I interviewed uh, in the, all the all the witnesses that he had at the trial. And uh, anyway, for for all the good it did, it didn't do any good because the poor fellow was in, ended up being tried and convicted. And sent another... Innocent person, as far as I'm concerned, uh, in jail. And the Satanists have all this strength and all this power and are able to uh, have the connections in the city hall and the courts and even all the way up to the White House in some instances. Right. But um, that's that's where did you first hear about Sid, uh, about uh, Richard Hamlin? I, I heard his interview on Red Ice Radio. Uh, he was interviewed from prison um, uh, by a gentleman in, in Sweden who, I don't know, I guess found his website, and I, and I found his website after I, I uh, went to red-ice.net and uh, listened to an interview by him, and it was, he sounded really just uh, sincere, and he painted this really awful story of, uh, you know, of of helping his wife recover these, you know, lost, you know, these, these suppressed memories that were horrific and terrible and painful for her to, to re- recover, you know, remember. And then when she did, it was it started coming out, coming out. And then it, he, I guess, you know, went public with this information. Then that then her his wife got assaulted, and she blamed it on the husband. And well, Richard Hamlin Richard, yeah. uh, claims uh, that they did a tune-up on her after she went to give the police this twenty-six page statement. Right. And uh, they took her to Indio to a uh, a plant down there, a, 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 a freezer operation, some sort of a, a plant. Uh, and they had a little nine-year-old girl that they had kidnapped, and she had been her arms had been broken like a pretzel, and she was hanging on a meat hook. She was still alive, and they told her if she didn't recant her statement with the police, that this is what they're going to do to her. So right. I wow. think she, if, if what Richard says is true. And I first personally believe that it is, and um, you know she was she was afraid that uh, they were going to do the same thing to her and torture and kill her, maybe even kill her. I don't know. But uh, they beat her up, and she claimed that he was the one that did it. And then they all testified at the trial, the, the children and Sue, uh, that he was the one that uh, had done this to her. Wow. So it's a tra- another tragic case. So um, let's let's then fill in the the gap in between those two um, stories. Uh, we got a really current one, and this one from a few years ago that's still going on. Uh, you know, Doctor McDonald, I guess, is still sitting in prison uh, with a dead family <laughs> that he's blamed f- for killing. 
uh, that must be uh, torture in and of itself, mental torture, I, I would think. Uh, it would, Absolutely. It would be awful for me if uh, I was in his position. Um, and let's, let's, let's try to um, fill in the gaps and, and talk about, um, you know, I guess how, you know, the reality of you know, trauma-based mind control, how it happens, and who does it. Um, I don't well, uh, you know, it's uh, when I first learned about McDonald and uh, the case became involved in the investigation, obtained the confession and so forth, and then went public with the information. Uh, the, the, there were there's an element that you see there's two elements within the government. There's the overt and the covert operation in the executive branch. Right. Uh, the overt operation are the fellows in the, in the suits and ties that come around to the bank robbery afterwards and ask the, the witnesses for the identification of the suspects and so on and so forth. The covert operation is being operated by the CIA and the NSA, military intelligence, and some elements within the FBI based on what I've been able to develop. And uh, this covert operation is involved in black operations, mm-hmm. uh, kidnapping children, drugs, illegal drugs, and other nefarious uh, activity. And they have unlimited finances. I have an interview. Uh, my website, by the way, is very interesting. It's tedgunderson.com. If you po- folks want to take a look at it, tedgunderson.com. It's all one word, T-E-D-G-U-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. And I have interviews with Chip uh, Tatum, uh-huh. former black ops operator, uh, with Bo Abbott, who was a CIA drug pilot. Hmm. I have interview with uh, Paul Bonassi. Uh, who was a mind control victim himself. It's a, this is a five-hour interview, and he specifically mentions uh, mind control and goes step-by-step step with it and tell, explains how this happens. That's a five, as I say, it's a five-hour interview. So I have some fa- fabulous, unbelievable uh, documentation and, inf- and information interviews with a number of individuals uh, who uh, have really uh, exposed what's going on in America today. Yeah. And... Um, so uh, this is part of the, you know, this is where I came in. Now, when I, uh, right after the McDonald case and right after I went public, um, the first thing that happened is the, uh, initially, uh, I had uh, at least three occasions when gunmen were waiting for me. They didn't want me talking and going public with this information. Right. And uh, the good Lord led me in another direction. I found out about the gunmen afterwards. Uh, for example, I'll give you an, uh, uh, I'll tell you what happened is uh, I, I had a, um, uh, a friend who uh, invited me over one night uh, to stay at, uh, at her house, and we had uh, been in, engaged, uh, not engaged to, to be married, but you had been involved in a romantic relationship. And she invited me over this one particular night to stay at her house, and I I'd went over there. And when I came back to my place the next night, and then the next morning I got up and here was a note on my car, and this was the landlady. And the note said, see me, something very important. And I talked to the landlady. And the night that I went over to see my friend, uh, she came home about 1.30 in the morning, and there were two men parking a car across from my front door. And one of them gets out and walks over to her car and says, do you know where Ted Gunnerson lives? Well, they obviously had been waiting there for me to yeah. come home. I didn't go home that night. So she told me this, and so I made some phone calls, and I found out that I had a contract out on me. Wow. And uh, so the uh, New World Order boys, um, I call them the boys because they're 
I refer to them as the junior high boys. Right. Um, they put a hit on me, no question about it. And I had two other occasions when gunmen were waiting for me and I didn't show up. Uh, so the good Lord was leading me uh, throughout this whole ordeal. Well, that didn't work. And then uh, the next thing that happened is uh, the FBI was investigating me. They investigated me on three separate occasions. Uh, that didn't work out for them. And then they put a girl on me named Pam Fawcett. And they tried to set me up on a drug deal. And uh, Pam was on the phone with me on a regular basis. And uh, finally she calls me one day and she says, Ted, uh, well, what happened is she was a, a potential witness on a case, on a drug case, drug manufacturing case. And her boyfriend had been indicted as a, man, a drug manufacturer, and she was trying to help him. So she came to me uh, through her attorney, the attorney of the boyfriend, and asked if I could help. And so I suggested that we put Pam in touch with the uh, local police because it was a federal drug case and see what she could come up with. So she volunteered her services to local police as an informant. And um, so anyway, so she calls me one day on the phone. She was in Modesto and I was in, in L.A. And she said, you know, Ted, those, those drugs you told me to plant <laughs> on the witness against my boyfriend, well, I planted him. He's been arrested. Well, I, I said, Pam, I didn't tell you to plant any drugs on anybody. Right. And uh, she said, oh, yes, she did. She wanted to argue about it. So, of course, I hung up the phone and I called the police. I said, in case you arrested this person, uh, it was a bad arrest and uh, the girl planted these drugs. Well, um, what happened then after that is uh, I was able to, you know, first of all, as a former law enforcement officer or anybody who has uh, information of a felony, you have to report it to the police. Now, I would, had, had I not reported that, I would have had committed a felony and they could have come and arrested me. So that little trick there didn't work. So one day she calls me. She said, Ted, uh, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, Pam, I'm in L.A. Come on down. She drove down from Modesto. What's that? A distance of probably about 300 miles, I would say, 350 miles. I met her in a parking lot in uh, the Studio City area right outside Los Angeles. And she told me the whole story. How, uh, what she did is uh, she went out to plant the drugs on her own on this witness. And... Uh, she was in and out of the house, and she met. She was. She, she said she started shooting up with him. I guess they were talking about drugs. And she liked him, so she didn't plant the drugs. But when she went out and got in her car, and drove down the street within a block, two police cars pulled her over, and uh, they they searched her car and found drugs in her car. Well, the drugs had been planted there by the this uh, potential witness uh, because he was. Uh, she, as she told me, he left the house a couple of times and came back in. And then they said to her, well, now, if you want to get out of this drug charge, the FBI and the DEA will talk to you and uh, help, you, help you out of it. You've got to cooperate with them. And that's how they set, tried to set me up. Hmm. So I took this signed statement from her. I had her on tape recorder also. And uh, I sent the signed statement and a cover letter to FBI headquarters. I found him Buck Ravel, who was number two man in the FBI. And I told them they were Bush League uh, trying to set me up this way. So I said to Pam, I said, Pam, why did you uh, come over to my side when you were actually working for the other side? And she said, and I had given her some advice about her 14-year-old boy in Florida, what she should and shouldn't do because she was having difficulty with him. And she says, uh, well, Ted, she says, uh, I woke up the, old, the other morning and I realized you're the only honest uh, 
SOB, only she used the word, uh, the real words, SOB. I realize you're the only honest SOB I've talked to in the last six months. That's why I'm here. Wow. And she passed a polygraph, of course. And I said, well, Pam, how do I know you're telling me the truth? And she said, well, in one of the telephone conversations, the note, the agent wrote out the questions I should ask, and he forgot to take the, the notes back, and she handed me those notes. I have those notes in the safety deposit uh -huh. box, by the way. Wow. So they tried to set me up on a drug deal. That didn't work. Now the latest uh, attempts to discredit me is uh, a, a disinformation program. And there's people out there like uh, a fellow named Stu Webb, who is actually an FBI informant, who's putting out disinformation about me, claiming I'm a FBI informant, a CIA informant, I'm a homosexual, uh, claiming that I was kicked out of the FBI for practicing satanic ceremonies in the federal building, and goes on all kinds of unbelievable lies. So that's the latest tactic they've used to try to discredit me. Right, and I and I understand that also gets tied into um, Art Bell of Coast to Coast. Is, is there some kind of drama about with him? Maybe trying to get in on that smear. I, I don't. I'm not really clear on all that. Oh no! I, oh, I'd love to tell you about Art Bell. Oh yes, definitely. All right, let's spend five minutes talking about that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I might take more than five minutes. Okay. Great. Right? Okay. We got two hours. We got two hour oh, show. We got so. two hours. Okay. Yeah. Commercial free. So okay, we got a break coming up now. No commercials, unlike Art Bell. Oh, you are okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here's a story on Art Bell. Okay. Um, I had my own radio talk show back in '96, '97 for two years, and I had a fellow named Dave Hinkson on my show, and he was uh, he had Water Oz, which was a health water product, and Dave was talking about. Um, his product, and all of a sudden he says, Ted, you're an investigator, aren't you? And I say, well, I've been accused of that. And he says, well, I'd like your advice on something. I said, okay, what's, what do you want? What's your interest? What do you, what, do you, what do you want to tell me or talk about? And he said, well, I have information, and, and he said in so many words that Art Bell uh, was covering up a situation involving a, a, a sexual uh, matter with a juvenile, and uh, he said to me, what, what would you suggest? And I said, well, I'd go to the court records and talk to the district attorney and so on and so forth. And then uh, that was it. And a woman from uh, West Virginia called in on the show. Her name was Ruth. And uh, that went on to another topic. Okay. Now, Art Bell, that conversation with uh, about Art Bell lasted one minute and 21 seconds. Right. You know, I've actually found the transcripts here. It's on educate-yourself.org if people want right. to search for it. And and so so what I did is uh, the next thing I know, Art Bell sues me and WWCR Worldwide Christian Radio in Nashville, Tennessee, mm -hmm. and, uh, and accuses me of, of uh, making the statement that he was a pedophile. And that uh, he had been involved in, a, uh, that he had covered up this situation. And, uh, of course, that wasn't true at all. He didn't even sue uh, Dave Hinkson. He sued me in the radio station. And so we went to court, and uh, we had depositions and discovery and what have you. Okay. And my attorney says, his name was uh, Scott, Steve Scott in Nashville, Tennessee. Fortunately, he had liability insurance, by the way. And he says to me, well, we're going to call for summary judgment. Now, for those in the audience who don't know what a summary judgment is, what it is is we present the facts to the court in a hearing, and based on the facts, we say that this, uh, these charges should be dismissed because there's no 
uh, credibility there. There's no credence to the charges. So we had this summary judgment hearing. Mm -hmm. And two days before the summary judgment hearing, a fellow named Kurt Billings and his wife come in with affidavits claiming that he had a conversation with me at one time. And I said that Art Bell uh, had... Uh, uh, that I had pictures of Art Bell having sex with children, and, uh, and they were hidden in a cave in Colorado and then in New Mexico. Who? Now, who is said, saying well, this? Uh, it's a joke. Uh, I don't have the pictures. And then a day before the hearing, a fellow named Ghost Wolf comes in with his affidavit claiming that uh, he had run into me at a conference, and I didn't even know who Ghost Wolf was, by the way, uh -huh. uh, and that I said I was going to get that uh, Art Bell under any circumstances. Uh -huh. So the judge says, well, we have these three affidavits, uh, nothing from Gunderson. Of course, they didn't have time to get anything in. And uh, he says, so uh, we're going to uh, we're gonna have to set a, a trial date, and we can't uh, 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 approve of a, a dismissal of these charges. And uh, so that's what happened, is to set up a trial date. And then the next thing I know, I receive a phone call from my attorney, and he says, Steve Cox, and he says, Ted, we're going to settle out of court, and I want you to sign some papers. And uh, by signing these papers, it's uh, you can't discuss this case anymore in the future. And we're going to give uh, Art Bell a settlement. And I said, you know, I'm not going to be blackmailed. I'm not going to be extorted, and I'm not signing any papers. And so my insurance company went ahead and signed the papers along with WWCR, Worldwide Christian. I don't know how much money Art Bell got, but I know he retired shortly after that. Now... Let's go back to the beginning. When this first happened, Art Bell goes on his radio show for about a year, and of course he's lost his stretch out for years sometimes, for about a year on at least 12 or 14 occasions. And on his show, he said that uh, Ted Gunderson accused him of being a pedophile, of molesting children, so on and so forth, which was absolutely not true. Right. Around, all, around what time was this? What year did this happen? Oh, well, this would have been... This would have been in the late, well, 90s, 96, 90s. Well, oh. I had the radio show in 96 and 97, so okay. it would have been 98 right. and 99, long okay. in there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so he also uh, his, uh, he had an article in Us Magazine. He had an article in People Magazine about this. And his attorney uh, goes on Good Morning America and talks about the case. Uh, I don't have that kind of clout. Right. I didn't, they didn't have any articles about me. You know, that's a magazine or People magazine. I don't have an attorney going on Good Morning America. Right. So I, I personally, I think that the whole thing was designed in order to try to destroy my credibility. Right. And to try to, to destroy my credentials uh, because I am probably the highest ranking civilian uh, who has been a whistleblower and, and, and attacked the uh, corrupt politicians in this country today. Mm -hmm. And they don't like people with my credentials coming out and accusing them of being corrupt, and not to mention some of the details of the information that I've developed in the last uh, 26 years, 27 years since I retired. Right, because this, the the information, the nature of you, the, your information blows away, um, you know, um, small, like what I call scandal du jours, like the recent Mark Foley um scandal where he sent some um dirty emails to uh the page you know the congressional page and i mean it's just like that's nothing compared to the kind of uh stuff that you're talking about of uh torture uh mind control drug running oh yeah i mean it's just like that's i mean that's so minor so i mean the and 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 the thing that does 
I mean, your career gives you so much credibility. So, I, I mean, it's just like, so those smears, um, have you, I mean, and I'm kind of curious, like, your relationship to other uh, whistleblowers, because uh, I know that you're probably one of the least known um, of, of sort of that sort of group of people who can sort of claim themselves to be, you know, whistleblowers um, uh, on that nature. Um, there was recently a, a, a website came out or something like uh, Patriots about 911.com or Patriot911.com or something like that. I can't remember the exact URL, but it was all these insiders uh, talking about how the official story of 911 is totally impossible and and not real, and uh, we're being lied to about 9/11. Um, I don't recall seeing your name or face there, but there was a lot of you know credible people, Paul Craig Roberts, and these kinds of folks that that you know are are you know Ray McGovern and people like that who have been in the government and been in these kinds of organizations. Do you do you have much relationship with other whistleblowers? Is it is or are you kind of like having to? Be careful of, of your profile um, and how public you are, and um, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about and and what you think of of other whistleblowers or in that community. I guess. Well, you see, whistleblowers uh, are normally people who are w- in the organization and blown, and, and whistleblowers uh, as a result of being there at that time. Right. I This all came to me after I retired. Right. Right. So uh, I, I just consider myself uh, an individual who discovered what was going on and decided to expose it as they went along. I see. Mm-hmm. And that's, right. that's where I'm coming from. Okay. Uh, that's a good distinction. And, and the more work you do, the more publicly, you're, the better publicly you're known, the more people come to you with information. I just had a trip, a one-week trip to Oregon where I had to go do some work. I live in Nebraska now, by the way, and I had to move out of Nevada because I was under attack. I was uh, being bombarded with electronic uh, microwave beams, and also I was being poisoned uh, with arsenic and cyanide, and I had the laboratory reports to prove it. But I had to move out of Las Vegas uh, and uh, here last May, and I've been here. I've, I'm, I've made a full recovery, almost a full recovery, I believe now. Uh, but when I first moved here, I was quite ill and everything from the poisons primarily. But I just came back from a trip in Oregon here last week, and I had about 14 inches of mail after being gone one week, and I had 45 messages on my voicemail. Wow. So what I'm telling you is, um, you know, the more public you are and the more exposure you have and the more people you expose them, where you expose the corrupt politicians, uh, the more people come to you with the information. So I, right. I'm like a sponge. I'm like a magnet. Right. Uh, people come to me from all parts of the country and give me this information. I can't handle it because I'm basically a lone ranger. Yeah. Uh, though I do have a little help now. Most recently, I have an associate who's come to forward to help me. And uh, about a year ago, I saved his life. There, I think that he was under consideration for being kidnapped. And that's another story. And it just seems like it's one incident after another. Uh, but when I, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, the kids and the politicians and so forth. Uh, I uh, I was involved in the Franklin cover-up case with John DeKemp, former state senator John DeKemp, in the late 1980s. And uh, that was a case out of Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were, ta- they in element, uh, this covert operation within the government, we're taking kids out of Boys Town 
orphanages and foster homes, driving them from Omaha to Sioux City, Iowa, 184 miles away, placing them in private jets and flying them to Washington, D.C. for sex orgies with congressmen and senators. And uh, that's, that was just part of the phase of the operation. Uh, Paul Benassi, who was in, uh, among the, the uh, he was a young kid taken off the street, was one of the individuals involved in this network of pedophiles and was used as a sex toy himself. And uh, they used Paul when he was 10, 11, 12 years old at shopping malls and um, in, uh, in various locations, parks and so forth, to track children his age over to the car and then the adults would grab them, throw them in the car and be off with them. They kidnapped them. Now this uh, same ring that was flying kids to D.C. for sex orgies were also kidnapping kids. This tied into an organization in Washington, D.C. known as the Finders. And the Finders, although we knew about the Finders, uh, some of us did in advance, uh, they came to light back in 1987 uh, when uh, the uh, Tallahassee Police Department uh, received a phone call on, actually it was on February the 5th, 1987, and uh, they received this phone call from an individual, and this person stated that there were two well-dressed individuals in the park there with uh, six children, and uh, the children were shabbily dressed, and um, so the police went down, and the children ranged in age, uh, from age two to age seven, uh, the children claimed that they were from Washington, D.C., and they were going to Mexico to go to a school for smart kids, yet they did not use telephones, did not use toilets. Huh. The two men, by the way, uh, the Customs, U.S. The Department of the Treasury Customs agent, uh, did an investigation of this and worked with the Tallahassee Police Department. And I have the report. It's in uh, a report of mine called The Finders, and that report is also available on my website, tedgunnerson.com along with uh, some other uh, very interesting information. So um, these kids didn't even know how to use, as I said, use telephone or toilet or anything else, and yet they were going to a smart school in Mexico. Well, the uh, Tallahassee police notified the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C., because the, uh, these two adults were from Washington, D.C., and the Metropolitan Police Department uh, served, uh, served a search warrant at the warehouse where these kids were taken and were kept, and also at the residence of the people that were in charge and ran the, uh, the Finders organization. And Now, what was the Finders organization supposed to be? What was its front supposed to be? Well, uh, they were just a cover. That was just a cover name. But uh, of actually, what? I mean, what? I mean, the Finders. Well, it sounds like a corporate operation. But it sounds like like a religious group, or a, you know what I'm saying? Like, did, well, they were they were trying to pretend like they're religious. Okay, so that's what I'm kind of wondering. Okay, yeah. okay, so they they were sort of posing as a religious group. Well, yeah, they were they were posing as an organization that looks for missing children. Oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, so that when they raided the the um, the headquarters where they kept these kids, uh, they found all kinds of paraphernalia, and um, they, uh, for example, uh, they found. Um, where the Finders was involved with people around the world in London, Germany, the Bahamas, Japan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Africa, Costa Rica, and Europe. There was also a file identified as a Palestinian file, and other files were identified by uh, numbers, name, or uh, 
member's name or a project name. There was one project, uh, one, one file that was uh, entitled uh, Pentagon Break-In, where obviously, apparently, they'd gone into the uh, Pentagon and uh, obtained some records. And then they found, uh, among other things, uh, they, uh, they were running ads in newspapers around the country looking for uh, nannies. And uh, also, uh, of course, then what they do, they place a nanny in the, uh, in the home, and uh, oh. they use the nanny as a front, and uh, who would help, uh, you know, eventually probably kidnap these kids, oh, I'm, I'm assuming. Wow. That's how they used them. But uh, they found this. They found the urine and feces in the, in the jars. And, uh, and, the, and the list just goes on and on. And they found indications uh, that the organization was involved in satanic-type activity. And the police, the Metropolitan Police, uh, told the uh, customs agent uh, that uh, they had uh, a suspicion that a murder had been, at least one murder had been committed there at the place. Now, this customs agent, on March the 31st, 1987, went over to the Metropolitan Police Department for final briefing. By the way, the newspapers were aware of this. They were notified. Uh, and uh, he was told by an officer of the Metropolitan Police Department Washington, D.C., that all the passport data that was found, there were two passports found in the, in the car in Tallahassee, had been turned over to the State Department for their investigation. The State Department, in turn, advised the Metropolitan Police Department that all travel and use of the passports by the holders of the passports was within the law and no action would be taken. Now, this included travel to Moscow, North Korea, North Vietnam for the late 1950s to the mid-1970s. Now, bear in mind that it was illegal to travel in those countries at that time. Huh. Now, the last page of this customs report, and again, folks, this report is available to you, along with other information, uh, on my website. It's tedgunnerson.com. Uh, here's the last paragraph, next to last paragraph of this report by the U.S. Customs agent. Quote, the individual, meaning the person in the Metropolitan Police Department, further advised me of circumstances which indicated that the investigation into the activity of the finders had become a CIA internal matter. A CIA internal matter, my friend. Huh. Okay? And then it goes on. The Metropolitan Police Department report uh, has been classified secret, was not available for review. I was advised that the FBI had withdrawn from the investigation several weeks prior and that the FBI Foreign Counterintelligence Division had directed the Metropolitan Police Department not to advise the FBI Washington Field Office of anything that had transpired. No further information will be available. No further action will be taken. A classic cover-up. Wow. And now my sources told me that the finders of the CIA front formed during the early 1960s that had top clearance and protection and assigned, assigned task of kidnapping and uh, torturing young children across America. They have trained government kidnappers uh, known to be sexual degenerates who involve the children in satanic sex orgies and bloody rituals and murders of children and so on and so forth. And uh, this, uh, this information is um, it's in this report, and I urge people to get a copy of this report and make copies and distribute it to your friends. Yeah, And my informant also told me that the finders had a fleet of unmarked vans, uh, to, and they targeted children, parks and schoolyards, and to pick them up and um, to uh, send them uh, various locations around the world. And in fact, during the raid, 
they noted that uh, there were wires from all over the world to the finders in Washington, D.C., uh, concerning uh, the raid that had occurred where the Metropolitan Police Department came in. And there was a wire that was sent out across the country to various finders' locations, I guess. I would, I would assume finders' locations, where they said to take all the children and keep them, on the, keep them moving. So there were other kids that were involved across the country right. in this uh, finders' organization. It wasn't just Tallahassee. It was a, looked like big, a global... Glo- beg your pardon? It wasn't just Tallahassee. It was a global operation. Yeah, it's a global operation. It's mm-hmm. international. Right, human trafficking, uh, ch- children, sex slave operation, basically. That's right. So this is this tied into the Nebraska case. Right. And uh, now you can see, with all this information that I've developed, you can see why the government, this covert element within the government, not the right. whole government itself, there's good people in the government, good and bad, sure. of course, mm-hmm. why they are so upset with me because uh, I'm making this public. Yeah. It's... But this is not all that... You know, I've done. I've done. You, you mentioned the terrorist movement, right? Well, I have information about uh, about the terrorist movement too. Sure, and uh, I'd like to get into that. But first, I want to stay on this topic. I, I want to uh, follow through on some of this. We're going to get to. Um, uh, I want to talk about World Trade Center in 1993 and the bombing then and, and all that stuff. But first, let's. I just want to. Um, sort of get this down because i'm kind of curious what you think of uh, of a f- the phenomenon of like uh, jean benet ramsey um, about jean benet ramsey mm-hmm. um you know it's difficult to evaluate a case unless you know all the details right but that has the earmarks right of being a, uh, a part of a her she was a victim of a, i would say based on my expertise and my knowledge uh she was a victim of a satanic ceremony yeah now, let me kind of explain that. That's what I think. This is my professional opinion. Uh, in the mind control program, they take their victims right up to the edge of death and then bring them back. And I suspect that they took her right up to the edge of death and took her too far and they couldn't bring her back. Right. And it happened in the basement of the home of the parents. Now, don't you know what's going on in your basement? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Sure. Absolutely. So yeah. it's difficult for me to believe that the parents are not involved in it. Right. Um, and I um, also kind of wondering, just because we're talking about this, uh, and and um, and uh, I know that you know, and, and I, I'm really well aware of um, the whole Jeff Gannon um, issue that came up, and I thought it was going to be a bigger scandal than it was. It kind of was like a non-issue. Um, you see, you know, Jeff Gannon went on um, the, the Bill Maher show, uh, and it was, you know, he was joking about how, you know, first, you know, usually journalists, uh, um, you know, journalists become prostitutes. Well, he started out as one or something like that. It was, it was a joke that he made about himself being a prostitute and having all this unrestricted access going in and out of the White House. Um, uh, and then there's also this, these suspicions that he could be um, a missing um, child named Johnny Gosh. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the Jeff Gannon, Gucker, Johnny Gosh connection and all this. Yeah, um, well, Johnny Gosh uh, was kidnapped by this network, the Finders Network, in uh, 1982. He was a 12-year-old newspaper boy kidnapped right off the street. And he, um, Johnny, um, Mother, Noreen, uh, was, uh, was that, not one of those people to sit back and let this happen without making an issue out of it. So she's been a very active, been an activist in this regard. 
Now, Johnny Goss was actually kidnapped by uh, this group out of Omaha, Nebraska, and Paul Benassi was the one of the kids who was in, uh, who I mentioned earlier in our interview. Well, he was one of the kids who was there and helped kidnap uh, Johnny oh, Gosh. Wow. And, jo- and Paul claims that Johnny Gosh was uh, had been uh, picked out of a, a from a group of other pictures of kids as an individual that a certain person wanted and paid fifteen thousand dollars for him. And he was taken to a safe house in Sioux City, Iowa, from Des Moines, kept there for a while, and then he was transported to Colorado, where he was kept in a, in a, a basement-type operation for a while. And uh, then they apparently made a, uh, uh, a sex toy out of him. Right. And he was uh, used as, uh, as a male prostitute. Now, Along comes Jeff Gannon and James Crock, I think it's Gockert. Gockert, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And what have you. And all of a sudden now, uh, by the way, there's a book out called Why Johnny Can't Come Home. It's available on my website, tedgunnerson.com. And um, this uh, Jem- Jeff Gannon is, uh, I think that was the press name he had used, wasn't it? Right, with Ta- the Talon News Service or something like that. Well, he was uh, he was asking soft questions of the president. Sure. And some of the other reporters uh, were kind of suspicious of him because he was setting it up so the president looked good. And somebody started checking into his background. They found out that he had a website, and I think it was James Gockert, wasn't that the name? Yeah. And uh, he's under the use, using the uh, website under the name James Gockert, and it was a homosexual website. They did some more checking on him, and they found out that... Uh, he had been uh, never been approved by Secret Service to enter the White House, although he had some 200 visits into the White House. And it's very evident that he was a male homosexual. Sure. And uh, the question arose as to whether or not this was actually Johnny Gosh or not. And uh, that issue has never been resolved. Right. Noreen Gosh um, has kind of stayed away from it. She doesn't know if it's him or not, her son. But if it is, he's been totally brainwashed. And he has the earmarks of, uh, like tattoos, not tattoos, but uh, birthmarks, uh, that uh, the same birthmarks that Johnny Gosh has. So, and I had one of my sources tell me that it was, in fact, Johnny Gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it became, uh, what I mean, talking just about Jeff Gannon, not about Johnny Gosh, uh, I mean, that's kind of, uh, it's, it's just kind of, uh, I think, telling that, um, that it was such a non-issue. Like, it, it, I mean, Monica, the Monica Lewinsky thing was huge, and and it was two consenting adults doing what they want to do, whatever. Uh, and yeah, maybe he lied about uh, doing that, and maybe wouldn't you know many uh, many a man do something like deny that uh, kind of behavior. Uh, but uh, this thing where you know you have these pretty much unrestricted access to the white house uh and by a uh you know this uh homosexual porn guy and uh it's just kind of like oh well no big deal or let's just let's just not mention it it's no big you know and that now okay now i just want to kind of ask you now then because to get up to up to date this week uh it's breaking in the news about uh, mark foley a congressman in florida who you know, sent emails to this this page talking about um, um, you know his perversions towards uh, whatever you know young, a young young uh, these young male um, pages. I'm kind of curious. It seems like now it's starting to be seem like well, this is just sort of extremely common in. Well, in, I think it's very common. 
in the White House and uh, was common in Washington. Yeah, 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 in, in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is it a case of where they sort of? Um, I mean, I don't quite I don't quite understand how it how it becomes so common. Uh, do I mean do people who are hungry for power and you know end up wanting to abuse that power with with pedophilia and the like, or is it a case of getting people on on embarrassing situations so they have something to blackmail them um or or is is the culture so deep like uh like folks like um bryce uh bryce taylor and uh what's the other one uh she wrote transformation of america um I have it. Anyway, um, the the one that she says that uh, she was in um, Gerald Ford's sex slave, uh, and and. If you'd like to make a call, Uh-oh. please hang up and try again. If you need help, hang I up got and disconnected. I got disconnected from Ted. We were breaking it down, so I don't know what happened. Maybe he'll call right back. He probably will. Let's just see. Uh. In the meantime, hi. Yeah, we start talking about the White House, we get cut off for some reason. <laughs> yeah. No, in answer to your question, I think it's a little bit of everything. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I, our our society is so. Uh, deteriorated so drastically in the, as far as morals in, are concerned uh, and um, you see what they do what this uh, covert operation does is they're notorious for setting up these congressmen and senators and other individuals, dignitaries specifically for the purpose so that they'll have them in their hip pocket they can tell them what to do and what not to do Right. they can tell them how to vote for the next uh, bill that might come to their attention uh, and that's what it's all about it's called blackmail sure and that's uh, now the question with Foley in Florida is this: uh, There's a number of uh, I'm, I'm convinced there are a number of other congressmen, senators who are involved in these type activities, uh, pedophilia. Right. Did he cross them? So they w- decided to expose him. Right. You yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. No. Or 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 is, or, or is he so expendable that they can use him as uh, an example? To, if someone maybe someone else is is getting uppity, you know what I'm saying, and they're, they're gonna say, well, you know, we're not even gonna do it to you. We're gonna do it to this other guy because we don't care. We, we we're so in that power that, or yeah, maybe he he was getting uppity and, and trying to, making waves, um, and he got exposed for this little thing. You know, well, it's not that little, but it's pretty scandalous. But um, and. And but all this stuff just continues to give credence. The Jeff Gannon thing, Mark Foley, um, Scooter Libby recently got uh, some kind of sexual uh, uh, thing going on. Uh, it gives credence, and, and your all your testimony gives credence to people that that I think you know it, at first blush seem just out there crazy, like Kathy O'Brien, who says that she was sold to Gerald Ford and and um, was um, Senator Byrd's you know, long-time um, piece of property, basically. Um, maybe, can you comment on those, I mean, on 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 that at all? Well, yes, of course. Um, well, this this is, uh, you know, they use Kathy O'Brien and uh, Sue 
uh, Bryce Taylor, uh, her real name is Sue Ford, uh, as they call them, uh, presidential models. Mm. And they use these girls, and they're, they weren't the only presidential models. The others just haven't come forward, uh, for, again, for blackmail purposes. Yeah. Uh, one of my uh, sources was responsible for setting up audio video in a restaurant in New York City where they would take these congressmen, senators, and so forth, and offer them either boy or girl, whatever was their pleasure, and uh, they would photograph them and, and uh, audio tape them, their mm. conversations and what have you. Mm. And then they had them. And, uh, by the way, this restaurant uh, is interesting because uh, it's never been listed in the phone book. I, I checked the phone book at the time that it was supposed to be in operation. This would have been back in the 80s. And I couldn't find any listing for it. Hmm. So these, they're very good. These covert operations in the government are very good. But um, these presidential models uh, blackmailing these uh, congressmen, senators, and other individuals uh, with these kids, whatever their choice is, sexually, is uh, an ongoing situation. We have about, well, we have 535 congressmen and senators in Washington, D.C. Uh, what percentage of them are, I would say, are solid citizens who are not involved in these type of activities? Well, nobody knows for sure, but if you watch the way they vote, like on the Second Amendment, we'll say, for example, okay, uh, the right to bear arms, uh, and some of these other issues that they're, that they're voting on, you can kind of understand and, and you kind of figure out who's being blackmailed and who isn't, or uh, maybe uh, in some instances they're totally naive and they're not being blackmailed anyway. But I'd say we have maybe 35 congressmen, senators that we can really feel comfortable with back right. in Washington D.C. And that's pretty, that's pretty sad when you have 500 more that you're not sure about. Right. So I mean, um, yeah, the um, when uh, Cynthia McKinney asked uh, the Pentagon uh, about uh, DynCorp human trafficking, uh, I thought that was a that that sure she showed her uh, she, she she to me she showed me, me that she was doing the, the people's work because anyone to bring that up uh, you know DynCorp to to the government to the to to the Pentagon who contracts with DynCorp about that um, was uh, pretty powerful. Yeah, why don't you explain to your listening audience about that case? Well, um, I'm I'm actually not not all the way in the know. Basically, all I know is that. Um, that DynCorp um, was caught uh, uh, trafficking humans, uh, and um, I guess it was around 1999. Um, but uh, and that the that there's been you know billion dollars of uh, contracts with DynCorp. Um, I guess yeah. That um, what's the guy's name? Anyway, I guess Ben Johnston was. Uh, Came out and said that that uh, that he and he was the whistleblower on that uh, thing. I, I you know I'm I'm not really prepared to to tell the whole story, but ba- but I do have the little clip and I've played it on my show before of, of Cynthia McKinney you know asking Congress you know is it is it the policy of the United States government to do business with known tra- human traffickers uh, and you know and they were like uh, no, <laughs> but <laughs> of, say that. Uh, of course and they also said that uh, in that same moment she also asked if. Um, our uh, our defenses were better served on 9/11 by all the uh, the uh, the military uh, drills that were going on that day, and they said yes, it was. We were we were better prepared. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it's it's really a, it's an awful situation that we're looking at when there's yeah there is such a few handful of of uh, loyal or you know true people who want to um, 
support and defend the United States of America, um, and uh, everyone else seems to be um, uh, involved in this horrible thing. I mean, like, like, like for example, Kathy O'Brien when she says um, that she was, you know, Senator Byrd's, um, you know, piece of property. Uh, that's really that really hurt me because Senator Byrd was you know he's always sort of one of these guys who keeps sort of talking about you know not going to war in, in Iraq you know and and he was sort of out there talking about how yeah we shouldn't go to war with Iraq it's da 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 and he has all this like great rhetoric but then behind the closed doors he's this this uh, you know power dominating freak you know and it's just kind of like who can you trust anymore and the lies are so deep it's just like the betrayal and the anger is is you know it's it's real it's really i don't know it's just and and i'm also just just since i'm rambling i i I thought i would sort of bring it back to foley and how maybe this whole thing about foley is he was expendable and they had this 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 small amount of dirt on him and they could throw that out there as a diversion from the maybe possibly the, the the um the torture detainee bill that got passed. I don't know if 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 that if they don't even care about that stuff anymore. Uh, yeah, but that's uh, you know, it sounds like there might be some behind the scenes uh, maneuvering there. But who knows? You know? Right. Right. Um, before we get into before we get into um, your your stuff that you know about um, the the World Trade Center complex and and the attacks that that happened both in '93 and 2001, I, I'd like to ask you quickly just. Um, uh, one of my listeners, when I when I sort of announced online that I was going to be having you on, they they asked about. Um, they said that that you were or somehow related to the Liberty Dollar, and if you, that, that maybe you know something about the Liberty Dollar and you can explain it to Liberty Dollars. Yeah, the Liberty Dollar. Are are you aware of of the Liberty Dollar and do you you do you, you use mean the American Free Press? Um. No, there's like I'm, I'm not sure who puts them out. I, I uh, oh, the Liberty Dollar. You yeah. mean the, all the silver dollars? Yes, yes. Well, I've heard of them. Yeah, and and I joined, but I I, I never you know I never uh, there was no follow up. Nobody ever followed up on it. Oh, me. okay. Oh, all right. Yeah, the Liberty Dollar. I'm, I'm aware of that. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know, I know that you know a lot about what happened in World Trade Center uh, in the 1993 bombing, and right. I, I'd like to get into that a little bit. Sure. Well, you see, what people have to understand is this whole terrorist movement is manufactured by uh, uh, people within our government. Uh, for example, um, not completely, of course, but there's an element. Again, we're going back to this covert operation within our government. Sure. And uh, what you have is uh, we have these terrorist acts that are being covered up time and time again. And uh, as a result of the terrorist acts, uh, then you have co- led Congress passing legislation and the congressman being told how to vote because they've been blackmailed or framed in some instances. Mm-hmm. And then they pass these crazy uh, laws that, uh, like the Patriot Act, one, and, and uh, pass uh, uh, and set up Homeland Security that takes away many of our constitutional rights sure. and civil liberties. That's what it's all about. Sure. Now, in order to understand this, you have to go back like 235 or 40 years ago uh, when the Rothschild family commissioned a, a former Jesuit priest named uh, Adam Weishoff to uh, come up with a plan to take over the world. And, um, and on May the 1st, 1776, he came up with the 25 uh, goals to take over the world. These goals included 
uh, corrupt the youth through sex and drugs, control the media, which they do. And by the way, I have a copy of the congressional record, February 9, 1917. And in this record, a congressman Callaway from Texas announces that the J.P. Morgan interest bought up 25 of America's leading newspapers and huh. inserted their own editors in order to control the press. Now, that was 85, 86 years ago, of course. Wow. So uh, control the press is one of the goals. Uh, corrupt the youth through sex and drugs. Uh, elect your own people to office. Uh, if you can't elect your own people to office, then uh, put your own people in as advisors. Mm -hmm. We saw this at Yalta with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, the list goes on and on and on. This is all written up in a book by William Guy Carr called Pawns in the Game. And I had copies of Pawns in the Game. I've had them for years. I've sold them for years. And all of a sudden I learned that the publisher of Pawns in the Game is in jail. And he's been ordered. He cannot publish that book for three more years. So uh, the government, some, certain elements within the government do not want this information to get out. And so um, the, the uh, Illuminati, it's called the Illuminati, was established back in the 1700s. And the, the goals are to take over the world. This all fits into the, the New World Order boys. The, now they call themselves globalists. And also the United Nations. And um, so there you have the, 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 the plan. The floor plan has been laid in order to take over the world. They're, these goals are about 85% complete if you look at them. By the way, I have photocopies of Pawns in the Game, so I can still send the book out, but that has to be uh, photocopied. I can't send mm -hmm. the whole book out. They're not available. Wow. But uh, this, again, is on my website, tedgunnerson.com. And uh, so then you have, uh, we had a whole series of events like Pearl Harbor. We knew about Pearl Harbor three days in advance. Uh, December the 4th and December 7th when Pearl Harbor occurred. Sure. And our government did nothing to protect those boys that went down in the Arizona, USS Arizona. Did nothing to keep, uh, to protect them from the uh, attack by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. Um, look at uh, Waco incident. We brought the military, our government brought the military in against the civilians. That's a violation of Posse Comitatus. Yep. Uh, look at Ruby Ridge, Randy Weaver. Uh, they tried to make an informant out of Randy. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't be an informant for them and wouldn't appear in the court. And so they came after him and they murdered his wife, uh, Horiuchi, the sharpshooter. Uh, murdered his wife while standing in the front of the uh, door with a baby in her arms. And uh, we just have, uh, then we, of course we had uh, two marshals that were that died in that shooting. And, uh, and then so on and so forth. Now, fast forward to Oklahoma City. Um, I personally investigated Oklahoma City. I have a report that I put together in Oklahoma City. Again, it's available on my website, tedgunnerson.com. And um, Oklahoma City, uh, Tim McVeigh and Nichols, uh, I uh, made two trips to Oklahoma City. And I can tell you right now that I was told by an investigator on the other side uh, for the defense team, told me there were at least 11 other people involved in Oklahoma City besides Timothy McVeigh and Nichols. Right. And uh, so we have a, a general basic cover-up there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, in 1993, we had the car bombing of the World Trade Center. Well, the FBI had an informant named Salam in there with the terrorists, and he was commissioned by the terrorists to put the bomb together, the car bomb together. Salam went to his FBI handler and supervisor, and uh, we're going to use a dummy bomb, aren't we? And the handler and supervisor said, no, we're going to use a real bomb. So the FBI not only knew in advance, 
they furnish the ingredients for the bomb. Right. And this is uh, written up in uh, Time, not in uh, New York Times, October 28, uh, 1993. This is documented. And I don't understand why certain members of Congress, when this has even appeared in the New York Times, aren't saying, well, what happened here? Why didn't somebody look into this? Mm -hmm. uh, there should have been an investigation of the car, car bomb to the World Trade Center. We had, uh, I think, six people died. We had uh, uh, a thousand people were injured and a million, half a million dollars in damage, something like that. And, uh, and then fast forward from there to uh, 911. Well, in order to explain 911, I have to go back to the spring of 1986. Right. And in the spring of 1986, I had, uh, I was out of the Bureau. I'd been out of the Bureau for around 15 years. And I had a former top official in the Reagan administration who I knew. Bill Sloan, he's passed away, so I can use his name now, who came to me and said, Ted, can we help the Afghan rebels defeat the Soviets? Can you help us out? So I said, I don't know. So, but I tried. I arranged for a meeting with an individual from Washington, uh, who I later learned was the State Department slash CIA, and uh, Mike Reconosuto and me, and there was the State Department slash CIA individual brought a second person with him, a tall, slender fellow, and we met in a hotel room in Sherman Oaks, California. And uh, at that meeting, Mike, uh, kind of pseudo, and I'll explain a little bit about who Mike is in just a minute, uh, but he was an agent seems with the CIA for some 20 years, and uh, he's a scientist and he's very knowledgeable, and he developed um, an electro-hydrodynamic gaseous fuel device bomb that was used in uh, Oklahoma City uh, in 1995. So, uh, but because of Mike's background as a scientist, um, Mike and uh, this individual from Washington and the other, the third or fourth person there at the meeting, um, I, I just put the meeting together and left, didn't know what happened after that. But I learned later that uh, they, uh, Michael was able to furnish the surface-to-air missile to the Afghan rebels that defeated the Soviets. So okay. at that time, the Afghan rebels were on our side and I also learned later, years later, that that fourth person at that meeting was Osama bin Laden. Huh. And uh, so, I, I lay the, the groundwork for you there because uh, as a result of Mike's being involved in that issue of furnishing the surface-to-air missile uh, to the Afghan rebels who defeated the Soviets, shot down their helicopters, as a result of that meeting, Michael developed uh, sources in the Middle East. And uh, Michael traveled around the world putting that package together. And um, so uh, along comes uh, uh, the, the Brooks Committee. Now, the Brooks Committee was investigating the Promise Software, which was a, a, an unbelievable computer operation uh, that was developed by Nancy and Bill Hamilton out of Washington, D.C. And what happened is uh, Nancy and Bill Hamilton had leased this uh, computer to the U.S. Department of Justice. This computer basically kept track of everybody and his brother and the dogs and the cats and everybody else. And it was an unbelievable operation and very, very detailed and uh, very uh, useful to the U.S. Department of Justice. They leased it for two years for $10 million. At the end of two years, they refused to pay the Hamiltons. The Hamiltons went to court. They won in court. But the judge uh, threw it out saying, hey, you're in the wrong court, you're in the bankruptcy court. You should have gone over across the street to another court. But anyway, Michael 
uh, when the two, during the two years that the Department of Justice had that computer, Michael developed a trap door for the computer, right? Which meant that anybody uh, who bought that computer from us, we could spy on them without them knowing about it. And uh, so then, when the Department of Justice refused to pay the Hamiltons, a fellow named Earl Bryant, again according to Michael Conosito, hang on a minute. <coughs> took that computer and sold it around the world. Sold it to the Israelis, the French, the English, and the Canadians. And unknown to them, this trap door was there. Sure. Well, in the late 1980s, uh, the Brooks Committee, uh, Senate uh, House Committee out of Washington, D.C., U.S. Uh, House of Representatives, had a hearing on it, and they called on Mike to come in and talk about how he developed the trap door. Just before the hearing, he was contacted by an individual, according to Mike, named Peter Vietniks. And Vietniks allegedly told Mike, if you testify, uh, you will be sorry. Well, Mike testified, and shortly thereafter, he was arrested for drugs and tried and convicted in first offense. And he's still serving, he's still serving time today, and he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. So they caught up with Mike. They heard, it seemed to me like Richard Hamlin, Mike Reconosudo, the real true Americans, it seems like every time they try to do something to help uh, our great country, this this evil force from behind un, behind the scenes and in Washington D.C., certain elements of Washington D.C. comes in and 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 look at how they're being punished and they don't deserve this. Right. Jeffrey McDonald is another one. So um, anyway, so I I lay the groundwork there, and uh, so Mike, I'm his investigator of record, and for two years. Uh, I tried to get in and see Mike, and the, the Bureau of Prisons would not allow me to go see him. Uh, and this was back in the, um, uh, this would have been back in the early 2000s. And finally I got in to see Michael in uh, January 2003, January 3rd, 4th, and 5th, as a matter of fact. And at that time, Mike told me uh, that he had uh, developed information through his sources, even though he's in prison, concerning the forthcoming terrorist attacks uh, that were to take place prior to uh, 911, and he had contacted uh, certain officials in the government, and they, re they would uh, not uh, come to see him or not interview him. Finally, his attorney in Chicago wrote a letter to Colin Powell and said, I have a client who has information about uh, terrorist activity. And on March the 20th, an FBI agent named Keith Kutry of the Williamsport, Pennsylvania Resident Agency, again, this is according to Michael, came in and talked to Michael. And uh, at that time, Michael uh, furnished Agent Kutry with the identification of an individual in New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey, as a matter of fact, who was coordinating uh, forthcoming terrorist attacks on the United States, uh, who had information on the movement of Soviet-made shoulder-fired missiles in the United States, uh, was for, uh, coordinating forthcoming skyjacking, was coordinating bombings and espionage, and the individual, another individual who knew the identity of sleepers in the United States and overseas. Now, Michael also furnished Agent Kutcher with information on a false ID ring in Montreal, Canada, and in New Jersey, and, f and could furnish the exact false IDs of 30 terrorists who had been chosen for action inside the United States. By, by according to Michael, there were to have been six planes skyjacked, not four. Huh. There were 30 terrorists, not 20. Uh, now, Michael also told Agent Kutri, this is according to Michael, 
that 37 Soviet-made missiles were being handled through Fabit Aviation, Quebec City, Canada, which were brokered uh, into the United States, and there was a 30-hour window when we could grab these uh, missiles, but the FBI apparently did nothing about it. Uh, Reconnaissance further informed Agent Kutri that the terrorists were taking flight training in various types of aircraft brokered by Thabit, and if given the opportunity for himself and his contacts, he could provide specific information where said training was taking place and the identities of the students involved. Michael had all this information. He gave it to Agent Kutri mm. on March the 20th. Uh, and then he thought he had done his job as a great American. And then we had uh, September uh, 11th. 2001-911, and two days later, Agent Kutri came in to see Michael with another FBI agent and wanted to know why Michael was bothering the FBI and wasting its time, accused Michael of seeking publicity, accused Reconnaissance of being anti-FBI and anti-government. He called Michael a conspiracy theorist. He called him a know-it-all, a hoaxer, and threatened him with prosecution. Huh and stated that he uh, discontinued inquiry and the information Reconnaissance gave him earlier because information Reconnaissance gave him uh, was about a staff member in FBI Federal Correction Institute in Coleman, Florida, was untrue. He stated that Michael was still under investigation because of threats he made against a staff member at Coleman, and Michael, of course, took this as a threat. Michael claims that that's not a, a, a true state. He didn't, did not uh, threaten anybody. Now, the question arises, well, how do we know that Michael had this information? Well, I have a report. I have a 100-page report and a 45-page report on this uh, situation with Mike Reconosuto. And I have a letter, a copy of a letter that Mike wrote to his attorney. Uh, the letter is dated February the 5th, 2001, six months prior to 911. And it's uh, certified February the 6th uh, in 2001. And in this letter, Michael says, and I, I'm, I'm going to read from his letter right now. Now, this, this is February, right, of 2001, which is six months prior to 911. Okay. Okay. Quote, things have not come to a head. I now have contacts with an operative that is in an Arabic group known as the base. They are presently engaged in preparation for a major attack in the United States. Uh, we have an insider to this group that handles false IDs and passports for the entire operation. I also have contacts with one of the parties that supplies explosive materials to this individual, to this, uh, to this group. As soon as we learned that uh, an actual attack was in the works, we realized we can't fool around with this. On the other hand, we don't want to get screwed by the government. So this is the letter Mike wrote six months prior, seven months prior to 911, hmm. an interview with the FBI six months prior, and nothing came of this. And Mike was accused of, uh, of being an anti-FBI, anti-government. I understand now why I couldn't get in to see Michael uh, prior to January 2003, because they didn't want me to have this information. Mm -hmm. They knew that I'd write a report, and I do have this report available on my website, by the way. Right. So there you have it. Uh, Michael Reconosuto, a great American, is in prison today. He's uh, what, what they get him on? medical problems. Uh, as a matter of fact, he has cancer on his nose. They have refused to treat it. And I just learned two days ago that he's going to lose one-third of his nose because the Bureau of Prisons refused to furnish him a doctor over a period of months. Wow. <laughs> what, 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 what Excuse did, me, I'm uh, sorry. I don't uh, have a seven-second seven uh, button here to 
when I coughed. I apologize. That's okay. Uh, um, what did they get uh, Reconosudo on again for? What, what they what? What what they put him in prison for again? Drugs. Oh. They said he was manufactured at a meth lab in uh, North Central uh, Washington State. Hmm. And uh, and he was uh, given thirty years. And this oh. was back in nineteen ninety. So. Uh, and I don't, you know, I, I hope Mike lives. I don't know. He's going to lose a third of his nose because of this cancer. A doctor looked at him the other day and said he should have received treatment uh, months ago for this. Right. And they've let it go. The Bureau of Prisons has ignored it. I've written letters to the Bureau of Prisons and demanded that somebody help Michael out medically. But they don't want Michael to live, of course. But this is a story about uh, terrorist activity. Uh, by the way, this report, I was reading from my report. And I furnished this report to the, uh, the three sisters in the news media, the three sisters being the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the L.A. Times. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever came out of that. I also uh, furnished this to the uh, Lee Hamilton, who's co-chairman of the President's Commission, right. to investigate 911. They never called me or Michael in to testify, even though they had this information. And uh, it's basically a, a huge cover-up. Wow. And uh, this is tragic. Yeah. But again, this uh, terrorist activity report, advanced knowledge, brings the FBI six months prior to 911 is available, again, on my website, tedgunderson.com. So members of the FBI and were, it was the FBI that, that had the, that were running the, the, the patsies, let's call them, uh, and keeping them uh, running what the taps the the pat the patsies the the Arabs and getting them all together and uh, you know getting their the visas and their everything together right yes well mm-hmm. the, the sad part about this is Michael had a source uh, in with the terrorists uh, who was himself uh, preparing the false identifications for forty five hundred terrorists around the world false mm-hmm. identifications for forty five hundred terrorists around the world. FBI had access to that information, and instead of taking advantage of it, they interviewed him, uh, according to Michael, uh, Agent Kutry again, threatened him with prosecution, and it, and, and deported him. Huh. Uh, now, Michael said that uh, he wasn't even interviewed until after 911. Wow. So what's going on here, folks? Wow. Wake up, America. Yeah, for real. It's... Um it, what what do you think uh like as far as uh where we're going like now with the Iran and stuff do you think uh the the preemptive nuke uh option is on the table for them or or, or is there going to be some something another uh false flag operation that where they'll blame it on on someone else and and that'll give them a reason to to do more wars I mean what do you see in the short term are you there If you'd like to make a call, please hang up and try again. If you Dang. So, yeah. He'll call back. Hi, uh sorry I, about that. That's okay. What do I think about what? What what do you think about um like the in the the, the short term future, as far as uh, what uh, what might be coming down the pike, as far as maybe Iran or another black, um, I mean a false flag operation or. Uh, well, well, you know, um, most recently, 
a bill was passed, we can't criticize the government, we can't criticize the president, we can't be anti-White uh, House, we can't be anti-Bush. Right. Uh, and uh, if we do, we can all be arrested as terrorists and tried in a military tribunal. Right. So um, I think I will defer any questions about uh, Bush and the Iran Iraqi war and the Iranian war and all that. Uh, other than to say that uh, I don't, th we don't belong over there. Right. Well, yeah, um, obviously. Uh, so I mean, and and what? But what your your point is is well taken with me. It's just like, uh, uh, obviously, I guess now my uh, my little radio podcast thing show that I do is um, is a terrorist uh, act because I'm uh, largely critical of the government uh, and their uh, their means. And and their goals. Uh, so I'm a little bit uh, I, I'm a little bit chilled by this new. Um, I'm definitely very chilled by this new passage of this this uh, legislation, and uh, it just seems like it just seems like they're they're wanting to. Um, I mean, it's just like the like maybe what has already been the agenda has already been is maybe just to destroy America, uh, and have you know have America be the what I call the bad cop. Uh, the UN is the the good cop, and then we're moving towards where everyone hates America. You have uh, you know Chavez saying how uh, how it, he you know we're we're the de you know the Bush is the devil, and I'm just like oh well, it looks like somebody's getting ready to do something to us, or and you know a big conflagration is going to happen. I mean, I'm no. Um, you know, profit. I can't see the future, but uh, that's what it looks like to me. Well, they've laid the groundwork. Yeah. The New World Order Illuminati have laid the groundwork to take over the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's all about. How? I mean, how? Um, how I? How? How do you feel about the um, the the Democrats or the left? The general. The. I mean, is there? I mean, there, it doesn't seem like there's any. There's nothing. There's just like all they do is go from one scandalous thing that has no traction to another scandalous thing that has no traction. Like, oh wow, they lied to us about going into the war with Iraq, huh? Hmm. Gee. But now we're there, so I guess we got to stay the court. You know. I guess. You know. There's no. There's nothing there. You know, when it comes right down to it, it's just like, oh wow, gee, wow, they're really corrupt. Well, you know, they used to say there's not a dime's worth of difference between a Republican and a Democrat, right? Right. Now you can say there's not a trillion dollars worth of difference. <laughs> right, that's a, that's the inflation, right? Yeah, well, the inflation and all the crazy spending that they're doing. Oh, right. And who gets uh, who gets uh, rich during the war, during these wars? The number one, the most greatest uh, gross, uh, net, um, gross um, income is through uh, munitions and arms. Yeah. Number two is drugs. Yeah. Who's getting, uh, by the way, um, um, Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the Internet. I have not, I don't know if this is true or not, but Halliburton allegedly, it's based on information on the Internet, gets $100, charges the government $100 for every wash that's made by the GIs over there. When they go to the washing machine and do their clothes, they get 100 bucks. Halliburton charges the government $100. Wow. And for every Hummer that comes in over there, Halliburton gets a quarter of a million dollars from wow. the government. This is on the Internet. Wow. 
That's, I mean, who's getting rich? <laughs> We're not. Yeah. I'm scraping around trying to just pay a few bills. Yeah, me too. Um, it's, uh, whew, it, it, it's, uh, sometimes it, I just, it feels really overwhelming. Um, uh, and I, 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 I was in communication with a friend of mine who, when this, uh, det- detainee, um, torture bill passed last week he just went into this big uh fit of despair and he's a young guy he's he's like 21 um i'm older and i'm i'm actually um you know kind of starting my family up you know i've got uh small children and and uh it's it's very depressing and very um you know emotional like i just maybe want to talk a little bit about just about the emotions that people can go you know go through when when they start to learn the things that you know and and that I'm starting to learn about where it just seems like there's almost no hope and or I maybe not maybe not hope but just feels like and I don't want to become like like you know like this is all you know somehow there's like a magical savior is going to come and save us like aliens or Jesus or anything like that it's just like just coming to terms with the bad you know the reality of it all and and the the feelings of betrayal of helplessness hopelessness um you know how do you sort of cope and what what's your sort of vision or you know, would you ask me is there hope yeah you know that's a good question of course and uh i i don't honestly know um what the future is going to bring i'm very i've always been an optimist uh but based on what's happened over the last, uh, you know, decade or so, well, actually the last 15, 20 years, 25 years, everything is pointing in the, in the direction that I think I pretty well outlined tonight. Yeah. A uh, takeover of the United States and then takeover of the world. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be very difficult to say that uh, there is hope. It is difficult to say that. I don't know if there is hope or not. Uh, all I know is uh, I have been commissioned in... I'm the messenger boy. I've been commissioned to try to educate as many people as possible. Sure. And uh, and it, on the other side, uh, the covert government has done everything they can to keep me quiet uh, from having hitmen come after me, try to investigate me, set me up on a drug deal, and now disinformation by an FBI informants like Stu Webb and and uh, Barbara Hartwell. Uh, this is all on the internet, by the way. Uh, there's another one that I'm thinking of, Janet Phelan. Uh, these are all FBI informants who are out there putting up disinformation on the Internet. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm no spring chicken anymore. I feel right. like I am spring chicken, but I'm not. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, I've seen, I'm 77 years old. People say they don't believe it, but I am. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen that country go from... Uh, the 1940s and 50s, when the great golden era of our country itself, uh, right after World War II, uh, you know, uh, people making money, people were happy, to what we have today. And it's, what we have today is Illuminati slash Satanism slash pedophilia slash uh, congressmen being framed and set up, uh, children being kidnapped, uh, satanic cults activity. We haven't even talked about Right, we haven't. Uh, the satanic cults. And, uh, you know, there's like, uh, I, I'm estimated about 4 million 
practicing Satanists in America today. And uh, I derived that figure from uh, three different sources, confidential sources. One in Manhattan Beach, California, uh-huh. uh, says there's about 3,000, and that's a general population of 200,000 people. Uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, about the top population of about 200,000. I've been told by another informant there's about 3,000 practicing Satanists there. Iowa City, Iowa, a town of 100,000 people, I've been told that there's about 1,500. So if you project those figures, that's 1.5% of the population. That's over 4 million Americans. And the Illuminati started out in 1776 with 2,000 members. Yeah. And now there's just 4 million alone in the United States. And uh, So um, with, with those numbers... Um they, I would assume that they they would be from all sort of quote walks of life or or um, I mean is there is there other um, how is the the organization set up since it's so unknown or if if it is if it is talked about it's sort of like um, you know the youth or sort of some people sort of you know uh, you know sort of very loose knit and not very coordinated or. Well, no, it's well-coordinated. Okay. They rule through secrecy and fear. Um, they obviously have a headquarters. I would rather suspect it's uh, back in Washington, D.C. And I can just give you an example. Um, they've harassed and had surveillances on me for years and years and years. Um, I have uh, been... I, when I leave Nebraska, I went to L.A. recently, and I had surveillances on me in Los Angeles. Uh, little things, they uh, uh, to just let me know they're around. For example, uh, in the middle of the night, they roll the window down on the passenger side one night. The next night, they roll the windows down, the window down on the passengers on the passenger side, and then the driver's side, every alternately. And then they flipped the, another night. They flipped on the direction signal, uh, and just let me know, hey, we were watching you. And then they gave me a flat tire. They put a a nail on my tire right. in my car in Los Angeles. And, um, so, and then I mean, when I go to Philadelphia, I was in Philadelphia, I had a surveillance on me. Right, okay, but here, here's the thing for me, it's like, I don't really care what religion people do, but what I do care about is when people, you, um, you know, inhibit the free will on others. And the thing about Satanism that it seems to me, it's it's this do what thou wilt shall be the whole whole of the law, but then it becomes like, that includes... Put in, in, imposing your will, imposing your will on another's over another's, and that's where I I start to have pro you know I have problems with the religion of Satanism because it seems to want to include um, uh, torture, uh, you know these slaughtering of you know possibly slaughtering of human beings. Uh, yeah, they they human sacrifice. Yeah, and 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 that's where I just go well then it, it goes from being. You know, interesting philosophy or religion or whatever that you want to do, then to being wrong and and then you know I was listening to National Public Radio earlier this year and they had Hank Williams the third on um, the grandson of Hank Williams, um, the country singer, and um, and now I, I understand that you're 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 aware that the whole country music industry basically is infiltrated with intelligence operations and and these kinds of things so maybe it's not shouldn't be surprising to you that hank williams the third is a you know out and loud proud uh, satanist and um and but i was just like i was just like wow okay so and he's getting his sort of 
he's getting on NPR talking about his Satanism and how great it is and how great he is. And um, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like uh, it's there's a sort of this culture that is sort of promoting this kind of um, I don't know if it's a lifestyle or philosophy or whatever you want to call it, religion. Uh, but it becomes it, it's I think it's dangerous because there's a reality and then there's the PR that they put out about it that that it's you know so well, there, there's uh, this element the, the satanic element in this country has infiltrated virtually every level of society mm-hmm. law enforcement prosecutors businessmen doctors uh, lawyers uh, district attorneys uh, they definitely infiltrated uh, city, county, state, and the federal government in key positions, key areas. Sure. And so uh, that's why they can take people like Reconosuto and put him in jail for 30 years for after after he testified uh, before the Brooks Committee because they had the clout to do this and they had the people in key positions to do this. And, um, you know, this is all well planned. Hmm. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, I've been, I have my telephones tapped regularly. I've had uh, surreptitious entries into my home. They're in and out of my home when I'm gone, like just Grand Central Station. Yeah. I've had people planted on me. I've had so many people planted on me, I thought I was in the Garden of Eden for a while. <laughs> and uh, I'm serious. I mean, 18, 20 people in the last 25, 26 years have been planted on me. I figured it out. Hmm. They tried to set me up with Pam Fawcett on the drugs. I mean, it, it's been relentless. Yeah. They've relentlessly attacked me doing everything they can to take me out of circulation so that I cannot do radio shows like this and expose these people for what they really are and educate as many people as possible. Yeah. So, um, no, I, you know, they're well organized. Sure. Even though my little, I'm in this little time, I had to move from Las Vegas in May uh, because they, they were gassing me back there. And uh, my life was being threatened. I made the decision to move within two weeks and I moved. And um, so I've even had them here in this little town of Claytonia. I'm in Claytonia, Nebraska. Come on out and see me, guys. I'm here. You know where I am. Right. And uh, we've had several surveillances here. My partner, Malcolm, Clarence Malcolm's his name. And, uh, you know, we run them off. we got pictures of them. And uh, so, no, they're, they're well organized. They, I, I'm, I think that they have a GPS on my car. Uh, and... Um, so they can locate me and know exactly where I am on your cell phones. They can use your cell phones to record your conversations. Wow. <sighs> so, uh, you know, uh, where they're operating out of, I'm not sure. Probably Washington, D.C., who knows. But I think they're set up. they got a very elaborate uh, setup across the country. And they're keeping track of certain people. And uh, they use their little dirt bag, uh, uh, unimportant uh, people to do this dirty work for them, then run the surveillances and so forth. Right. I've run them off. I, when I was in Los Angeles, I ran them off several times. When they first started doing this back in the early 90s, they put a guy out half a block away sitting in the car. We were sitting there. And I put on my gun, get in my car, drive by about three miles an hour, do a U-turn, drive by three miles an hour, do a U-turn, turn, stare them down each time, then I'd sit in there and pull around and park behind them. They couldn't get out of the neighborhood fast enough. Yeah. One of them ran a stop sign getting out of there. Another one went uh, backwards down the, uh, the uh, one-way street. 
to get away from me. So, um, we, I mean, it's it's clear that that uh, you know our our society has been in, in, sort of infiltrated and affected by this um, this clique that's uh, largely, I guess, the easiest phrase is satanic, but uh, maybe it's it's better termed in another way. I'm not sure uh, how how far back. I mean, to me. If you say, "Oh, it only it started in 1776," or it started uh, like when JFK got assassinated, or it started, you know, it's hard to find a beginning point to this. And to me, it seems like it goes all the way back to when the when the first priest decided that he had the secret knowledge uh, to keep all the other people sort of, you know, buying into his guru game. Uh, I'm kind of curious what you think about. Uh, ancient history and where where the true sort of source of this covert or this evil on the planet come, really comes from? Well, it goes back to the early days of Egypt. Yeah. Originally. Yeah. Uh, what they did, I think, in 1776 with Adam Weishaupt and Rothschild families, they modernized it. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, what they did is they, uh, we now have the corporations, this is corporate America, Corporations are running this country. Corporations yeah. and the Illuminati, and the Illuminati members are key uh, executives in these corporations. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're going to tell us when, when we can eat and when we can't eat. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time. So we already have internment camps set up around the country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have, uh, according to information that I have, uh, we have railroad cars with shackles in them. Wow. And... Um, in Texas alone, there are, there are, I think it's six new prisons back in 1996. There are pris- new federal prisons that are staffed with no inmates. Hmm. And I asked the head of the civilian head of the prison uh, system, uh, why? What's this all about? And he couldn't answer. He didn't know. He said, I don't know. Now, he may, may not have been telling me the truth, whether he knew or not, you know. Right. Uh, but uh, everything's pointing in that direction. Uh, we had uh, like 240,000 AK-47s smuggled into this country here a couple of years ago. Well, why, why, why would we have those smuggled in here and go into the underground? Because when uh, time, certain time comes, we're going to have some problems with the gangs. Uh, there's information that would indicate that, uh, so, that some of these gangs are being trained at our camps. Gangs out of uh, Los Angeles in the big city, inner city. Mm. Of course, they're expendable. Yeah. But uh, but people don't realize about the Illuminati is you can be part of this organization or you can be a Satanist and so forth, but you are expendable. When they don't need mm-hmm. you anymore, they'll get rid of you. Right. So these people are, they're going to go too. They, they're going to take some of us out where they're going to go too because at the hands of their own leaders. Right. So... Um, which anyway, could, that's that basically. Right. You know, in in, in um, back in the 1990, uh, you, are you familiar with the Manhattan Beach uh, McMartin case? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the kids uh, back in the early 80s, uh, one of the little the mothers came forward and said, "My child's been molested over there." Began a big investigation, and the children claimed that there were tunnels under the school. Uh, they also claimed uh, that they were taken through these tunnels up into the trap door of the triplex next door, placed in automobiles, and prostituted in the community. We're talking about preschool kids, two, mm-hmm. three, four-year-old kids. And they also um, 
claimed that they were flown up into the mountains and uh, and uh, you know that and so forth. So anyway, so I inter I inv investigated the case. I really refrained from getting actively involved in it, but I was following it. And then all of a sudden, um, I had a chance to take over the property of the school after the case had been broken, and there was a two-year trial and all that sort of thing. And um, there was a trial for uh, Ray Bucky and his grandmother, and the grandmother had been acquitted, and Ray Bucky had a hung jury. So they had a second trial. So um, I had an opportunity to take over the property. And I went to the contractor. The property had been given from the McMartins to Danny Davis, and he sold it to a contractor. So I went to the contractor and said, I want to uh, take over and work on the property, see if I can find the tunnels. And he agreed to that. He said he'd let me have it for two weeks. Well, I kept it for 34 days, and he finally sent a bulldozer over and said, get off the property because uh, we're going to tear it down. But at the end of 34 days, we, had, we hired an archaeologist, the parents and I did, uh -huh. Dr. K. Stickle. And during that period, we documented that there had been tunnels under the school, hmm. as the kids had said that there were. And we, the, uh, Gary Stickle said he would uh, 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 agree to testify to this. He had documentation. This was uh, during the middle of the trial of the uh, second Ray Bucky's second trial. So I called uh, Perez, the investigator, and the DA's office, he came out, wanted to argue with Stickle about there were no tunnels there and so on and so forth. Here's an investigator, didn't know anything about archaeology, right. and uh, arguing with uh, Dr. Stickle. So they didn't want to know about the tunnels. The officials had looked for the tunnels in 1987. So what, we, what happened is that we also found out, by the way, we had pictures of the trap door of the, uh, the triplex next door, and it was uh, in the bathroom. And uh, the trap door went up into the bathroom, and it was there. The tunnels were there. The kids were telling the truth. Right. Now, the day after this case broke, there was a cabin. There was more than a cabin. There was a house in Crestline, California, which is in the mountains, uh, about 20 minutes away by jet, I would say. And it burned down. Well, I learned through one of my sources, and I have pictures of this, by the way, uh, that this was a, a, a satanic site. This is where they had satanic ceremonies, hmm. built on the side of a hill. And I went up there and took pictures, and I called Leo Rubin, the prosecutor. And I said, I think I know where these kids were taken, right in the middle of the trial. And um, I said, I, I, you know, we can arrange to have the kids go up there and see if this is the location where they were taken. She wasn't interested. Hmm. She was not interested. Well, why? I think because the kids identified actors, prominent politicians, professional baseball players, professional football players, some of the most uh, prominent people in the city of Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, that's the story behind the McMartin case. Huh. So. Wow. Well, you know, just driving around in L.A., I, I'm, I'm up in L.A. pretty often, and it's really, you know, once I get tuned, once I've gotten tuned into the, the symbols and the symbolism used by uh, the elites on this planet and how they and how they use it just driving around LA it's really amazing to just look at the uh, the iconography that's all over the place it's just like riddled with symbols of of fascism and occult symbology um <laughs> it's, oh, yeah subliminal message yeah it's 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 really shocking like i was standing there in uh that hollywood area and 
and you know you've got these Assyrian statues and you've got the Masonic uh, old Masonic building that's now a TV a studio and it's all right there at the and then you've got this these these big McDonald you know uh, golden arches and all these it's just like it's just all right it's just like overwhelming it's like boom 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 there's more 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 oh it's just like it's like wow could you get kind of I mean maybe it's not maybe I'm just sort of reading too much into it because I you know I read people like you and Jordan Maxwell and stuff like that but then but then maybe more people need to to get clued into uh, what's going on so anyway well I wish more people uh, would wake up you yeah know? yeah me too that's what motivates me with this radio yeah. show anyway Ted we, we're basically out of time and uh, I but I did want to just really thank you for taking the time and and for speaking out uh, and joining me on my show it's been really in- inter- well, interesting well I want people to be sure to look at my website tedgunnerson.com okay great and um, and uh, it is it, there is a lot of information there and uh, you what also I'm, what, I'm ta- what I talk about tonight is all available in documentation great and and I actually I found uh, a lecture of yours on uh, Google video and so the other there's more uh, uh, media presentations available on the web too that you can find make, get any of my material make copies I'm, I don't worry about copyright great Okay. Okay. Thanks hey, a lot. Thanks for having me on your show. I loved it. Okay. Great. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. Bye bye. Bye. All right. Uh, well, thanks for uh, thanks for being with me. This is uh, this is my show, and uh, I'm going to take you out with some Steve Earle conspiracy theory. Have a good night. Thousand sons and never crew to fathers. Don't you ever?